the Ghost Goal Podcast. The return of the Premier League this weekend saw the return of goal-scoring number nines as Manchester City's Erling Haaland and Liverpool's new signing Darwin Nunez both had goal-scoring debuts in the Premier League. Meanwhile, the Eric Ten Hag era got off to a poor start at Old Trafford as United lost 2-1 at home to Brighton with some worrying performances all over the park for United. We've got all that and uh, plenty more to recap. Uh, Yes, you heard that right. Uh, We're shifting our uh, focus a little bit this season at the Ghost Goal Podcast. Rather than doing uh, Wednesday night preview pods for the upcoming weekend, we're going to be reacting to everything that happened over the weekend in the Premier League for you guys this season. So uh, welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 366. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Both our teams got off to uh, a nice nice start. Away wins against uh, sides like Palace and Everton that uh, we usually our, our sides usually struggle at. I'm uh, I'm sure you're very pleased with that Javier. Not another repeat yeah, of the Brentford I mean, it was, uh, result. Exactly. It's it's not usually been a great starting day for Arsenal the last few seasons. There's been some some squeaked by wins or, you know, losses that we shouldn't lose and some bad starts. So, it's good to get a clean sheet, start well. And um yeah, no. I mean, I loved having having football back on because it's just it, it had been too long since we had the the Premier League back and it was awesome to see every team playing you know even teams like Brentford and Newcastle and you know Leicester I mean, it, it, it was fun it really from, hasn't from a been lot that long it's been two months <laughs> too much <laughs> that's it we're addicted to it Alex it's yeah. too much uh, it's, we might have a problem yeah yeah, there was uh, there, like it was enough talking of transfer rumors and all that stuff. Just just back to the footy. Where, where, where do you want to start, Alex? Well, I mean, there's nowhere else to start, but uh, the upset of the weekend, if you can even call it that. Manchester United, like I said, they lost uh, 2-1 at home to Brighton. Uh, a brace from Pascal Gross nine minutes apart from each other in the first half. Uh, and United pushed for the equalizer. Uh, got an own goal from uh, Alexis McAllister. Uh, in the middle of the second half, around the 68th minute, and had a huge Marcus Rashford chance, point blank, that Robert Sanchez, the Brighton goalkeeper, saved. But alas, the Eric Ten Hag era got off to a underwhelming start, to say the least. And I feel like I'm being pretty friendly to Manchester United by saying that. Uh, what were your thoughts? Did you get to watch the game? Uh, if so, what were your thoughts on uh, were people overreacting to this loss? Yeah, uh, I watched. I watched most of this game. Um, there were like bits and parts where I uh, where I was cooking some breakfast, but um, yeah, it, it, I thought Manchester United, especially in the first half, just did not play well at all. You know, we're decent on the ball, um, but a lot of their chances came from individual brilliance. And then once Ronaldo came on, I think they got a lot better. But it it just they still were a lot of chances that they weren't able to to put away like the the Rashford one you mentioned, you know Sancho was he was kind of okay I guess you know he uh, he he was part of the uh, build up to that really big Bruno Fernandez chance in the first half the one that he like skied over the the bar at nil nil I was gonna say like he was he looked dangerous a lot and he. 
I don't know what it is about him, but it's just it's not as easy for him clearly in the Premier League as it was in the Bundesliga to to get goals and and assists. You know, I don't know if it's just the team, but and and on the same token, I thought Brighton were really good. You know, I thought they looked like a team that wasn't afraid to go to Old Trafford on the opening day and and impose themselves and. Yeah, they could have gotten more goals as well. I mean, they had uh, Trussard had a couple of chances. Danny Welbeck had a penalty shout. You know, they had a they had some corners. Uh, the, they were they went to Old Trafford and got a result. And that that you you calling them for relegation, Alex? I mean that they're not going to get relegated. Brighton. First of all, Brighton are way too good. First of all, correction: I did not call them for relegation. If you'll recall, no, it was your it was your hot picks, take. Your hot take. My yes, picks hot were take. were Leeds, Fulham, and Bournemouth. It was a hot take. The point of it was that it was supposed to make you go, oh, that's ridiculous. But then I still like I still think that's like a uh, that was a solid hot take to have. Like I I back up my reasoning because, frankly, this was a very settled Brighton team. No new signings uh, in in the Brighton starting 11. All players that are uh, fully entrenched and understand how. Uh, Graham Potter wants to set up. And Caicedo play. was great. Caicedo was great again. Was great. Just um, dominated midfield. Honestly, what? When is a better time to go to Old Trafford? New manager, new philosophies and style of play for Manchester United. A couple of new signings. Uh, Christian Eriksen started this game as a, a false nine, basically, and then moved back a little bit deeper into midfield as United tried to get more of a, a hold on the game. It, it was the perfect opportunity, and Brighton took it. Um, sure. Like I, I understand if uh, people feel vindicated criticizing that hot take, but what, what do you think of what do you think of Lissandro, Lissandro Martinez at uh, center back? I'm not I'm not kind of had a nightmare. I was I don't know about nightmare. Not a great not a great debut for him. I, I mean I, I saw that line in the second half. He was a lot better. Were in trouble. Like I mean in the second half when again like when he he, he could play balls a couple times to Ronaldo, it, he looked better. You know he he's really good at long balls, but. For some reason, when he had you know Rashford, Erickson, Sancho up there, it wasn't he. He couldn't really find them that much. It's just, and then Harry Maguire did his you know Harry Maguire thing where he's you know good in some places and terrible in others. Fred and McTominay, McTominay should have been sent off. Yeah, I mean that the the two key areas that that I saw when I the lineups were released on Sunday morning were you know the Fred and McTominay pivot in midfield. Been there, done that. We know what that gives you and how that restricts you as a team. And then starting Maguire alongside alongside Lissandro Martinez and as the two center backs. It's not that I don't think Martinez can play center back in the Premier League. I'm sure he can in, in certain games. But it's just that pairing, like in particular, it doesn't seem like the best idea. You, you're probably, probably better off with Maguire completely out of the team. And if Varane and Lindelof or Baye are fit, starting them and... Martinez, like I said, he can play center back, but I think the best way forward for them is with him playing as the the deepest lying player in midfield. Because right now, and for years, we we've seen Fred and McTominay. They should have an understanding by now because they've played together so much. But neither of them know when to sit when the other one pushes forward. They're constantly not on the same page, and it just leaves their midfield so open, which, I mean, for a team like Brighton, where everyone, every single cog in the machine has an understanding of the space and uh, where they need to be, 
it, it, that's just brutal. Like you're never you're going to get split open multiple times like United did in the first half. And it doesn't get easier for United. They've got Brentford coming up next weekend. I think there's kind of a comparison to be made between Brentford and, and Brighton, where you look at their lineup sometimes and you just think like they're so they're both like very good defensively. But it seems like they've got very attacking pieces just thrown all over the, all over the pitch, and yet as a team, as a unit, they still manage to press excellently, possess the ball really well. It's never easy, even when you're at home against uh, a team like Brighton. So, yeah, really, really good uh, start to the season for Brighton. That's their first ever win at Old Trafford as a, in their club's history. So, absolutely momentous day for them, and that was without Basuma or Kukurea. So good signs for uh, for Brighton. Uh, do you want to just hit on? Uh, there was a couple of transfer links with Manchester United over the last couple of days. Crazily, Marko Arnautovic supposedly is being linked with a move to Mark, to United. And I think Ra- Rabiot is right. almost a done deal. Oh my gosh! So yeah, what do we think of those? Sounds like uh, Rabiot is going to be going to Manchester United. I mean, I I just I don't understand why. Number one, you didn't go and get him when he's been there the whole transfer window. Why the sudden urge now? Um, and two, you know, I don't think he's good enough to take Manchester United to, to the next level. I think he's just a, a player that can have a high ceiling, but his lows are far too low, and he's very inconsistent. He's you know He's got drama that comes with him, probably a high salary, so... I think it's a bad idea for either one of them, Arnautovic or, but but you know what? If Manchester United need players, they just need bodies you know, who might have a brilliant day or two. So that might just be the uh, t- the mo now for Manchester United because there aren't a lot of players who really want to go there right now. Yet the Rabiot one, as crazy as as crazy as it seems, it makes more sense. But the Arnautovic signing, when I saw that, I just thought, oh my god, this this might be the end of Manchester United as we know it. You know, I mean, maybe that 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 has probably already happened, but this might be like the final final nail in the coffin. It, it just seems like another another Odia Nagalo signing. You know, a player that people are familiar with and has Premier League experience, but was never really that good, even for like mid to low table sides when they were in their prime. Arnautovic is like thirty three now. Played for Stoke and for. Uh, West Ham in, in the Premier League years ago. He, he's a very streaky player. He'll go on hot streaks where he plays really well, but that's not going to be a signing that solves many of Manchester United's problems. But uh, yeah, we'll see which one of those, if not both, uh, develops into something concrete. Uh, moving on to uh, what was originally the uh, upset of the weekend before that uh, Brighton results. Uh, Fulham got Saturday started off with a 2-2 draw at home against Liverpool. A pretty surprising result. I think a lot of people just had Liverpool down to go to Craven Cottage and win 3 or 4-0, but uh, they, they looked very lackluster. Uh, Fulham played excellently, especially in the first half. Uh, went ahead twice and uh, getting out, ended up getting out of there with a with a point against uh, you know one of the best teams in in Europe, frankly. So, did you wake up for this one? You better have, because it was the best game of the weekend. No, I ended up just just watching highlights of it. Oh, you bastard! Later. I, uh, it was excellent. I missed this one, but uh, wow! I mean, Fulham played from the highlight. There was a lot of highlights in this game. I mean, Fulham played much better than I thought that they were ever going to play. 
against the Liverpool side, who frankly didn't play that well, but still had, you know, crazy skill on display and, and still had, you know, still looked like one of, you know, one of the best sides in the world. But Fulham just played out of their minds, kind of. I mean, it made me immediately think that they're not going to get relegated. Like I mean, it's one, like it's one game. Week. Like, but you know, Paulinho was fantastic. Paulinho was Paulinho so good was in that game yeah. versus uh, an incredible midfield of you know Fabinho, Thiago, and Henderson. I you know the guy was the guy was everywhere. They had you know Harrison Reed surprised me, and then Mitrovic looks like he's. Uh, we were asking questions about him. You know, if they're like if he's gonna they're gonna stay up, he needs to score twenty goals. Twenty goals. I think we said fifteen. I think we said fifteen. I mean, 15, 20, 15, yes, they would definitely stay up, but 15 would right. be like the minimum he would need to score. Right. He can't be scoring 10, 11, 12. So let's see if he... Uh, he's done this before. He scored a couple goals, yeah. then fallen off. So let's see if he can keep it up. Yeah, last time Fulham were in the Premier League two years ago, Mitrovic had a, a similar performance, but in a losing effort uh, at at Leeds, who, uh, who had just come up as well. He scored a brace, and they lost 4-3. This seems a bit more significant, though, because of the opposition that he did it against and the fact that, frankly, he bullied players like Virgil van Dijk and Jordan Henderson uh, when he would drop in deeper to midfield. Uh, yeah, it was one of the best Mitrovic sign, uh, displays I've ever I've ever seen from him. And like, I, is it just me? Was I the only one who was like kind of shocked to see that he's still only like twenty seven? Like, yeah, and he scored forty three right, goals. Wouldn't you last think season. he was like thirty one or thirty two? Like yeah, he's just been around a while, and he's, he's yeah. kind of a savage. He's the absolutely guys, a he, savage. He, he's like what I think Armando Broya would want to become, you know, someone that type of player, but you know, quicker. He's got the physicality. I, mean, I think Broya can be better than him, don't you? Like I don't know, scoring forty three goals. You think Broya's ever going to score forty three goals in his career? In, uh, in the championship, if Broya's in the championship at twenty six, then he better be scoring forty goals. You know, like, uh, yeah, I, I do. Just the one other player from Fulham I want to throw out a shout out to is Andreas Pereira, the the signing they they had for Manchester United. I I don't know where he's been. I'm guessing he's been on loan, it's like in Spain or somewhere the last couple of years. But he's he's come back a different player. Like I always thought of him as kind of lightweight, kind of a like a flair player. But in this game, his work rate was phenomenal, and he he filled into like a, an attacking midfield position, and you know helped make up for Mitrovic's lack of you know ability to press by by you know pressing like a madman himself. You know, didn't get any goals or assists or anything like that. But he he was part of a, a greater Fulham effort that uh, that really stood out. And then uh, for Liverpool, I, I don't think they were amazing. They didn't have a shot on target until like the 60th minute. But once Darwin Nunez yeah, came on... once Darwin Nunez came yeah. on, they, they just, you know, assaulted Fulham. And Darwin Nunez is... I mean, that goal, that finish for the... that back heel flick, that was insane. Yeah, he tried it like five minutes earlier, and it was completely flat. Like he backheel flicked it directly at uh, Rodak, the Fulham goalkeeper, and then when he got the second chance at it, absolutely lasered it into the roof of the net. So uh, that that relationship between him and Salah is going to be something special. So that's 
it's kind of why people are so confident in Liverpool's ability to like you know maintain the kind of form that they have had with a player like Mane because you know you're not losing anything in terms of the work rate up front that Mane provided like Nunez will do the exact same thing but he's doing it in you know a center forward strikers like body type it's it's gonna be really interesting to watch how that plays out and I'm sure when he starts from the beginning against teams like he's sure to do because Firmino was non-existent when he when he started uh the Liverpool will get back to what we're used to from them I guess it's time to get to the uh, the other new center forward signing, the other shiny new toy. Uh, Manchester City won two nil at West Ham. A Erling Holland brace uh, from a penalty in the first half, and then a frightening uh, counter attack and well timed run in behind uh, in the second half that that wrapped things up. What what did you think of the Erling Holland debut and you know City's performance overall? I mean, that was typical Manchester City. It just controlled the game from start to finish almost. I mean, there was, you know, at the beginning, the first, I don't know, 15 minutes were kind of competitive, but then, I mean, the City have just such an abundance of riches, so many players that they can bring on. They didn't have to change anything, though. That team could have probably played the rest of the game and easily seen out the rest for 2-0. I mean, Pep only started making changes in the 78th minute. You know, and he he brought on a bunch of, you know, Calvin Phillips, Bernardo Silva, Cole Palmer, Julian Alvarez, and Riyad Mahrez. All of those are just like crazy players, except for Cole Palmer. But he, 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 he will be pretty good. Even he's saying, yeah, he's, he'll probably be a really good player too. It just for me, it's it's going to be uh, Holland's going to be frightening. I mean, that counter attack, the speed. The ease of which De Bruyne can play those passes regularly and hasn't really had a player who can regularly finish those. I mean, yeah, Julian you, Alvarez you say is mainly also like fantastic. Sterling and uh, and Jesus were probably the two players that were most like willing to make those runs. Yeah, exactly. In behind. Both of those, those right. But now they they lost, now the player who's going to be the target of those is going to be Holland and and Alvarez. Both of them are just incredible players. So it's going to be frightening for years to come. I'm. I'm just in awe and fucking scared as hell now that every time Holland steps out on the pitch, he's going to destroy whatever team's out there. Yeah, so, I mean, that second goal, the counterattack, like, the, the like, sort of blistering nature of it was, was frightening, but you could kind of see it from a mile away, like, as soon as, like, Rodri picked up the ball from defense and played it forward to De Bruyne in a bunch of space, and there was all that space in behind the West Ham back line, you just knew, like, Oh, any sort of decent ball from De Bruyne and Holland's going to have a good chance to score here. The more impressive one to me was the the burst of pace that Holland showed over like the shorter distance to win the penalty. Like West Ham were fully backed in and defending with their backs against their own goal for the whole first half. And City had some good chances, but overall it was more like managing the game with possession, trying to limit uh, West Ham's chances of getting out and. I think Holland had one like chance at a header before that, but he he wasn't really as involved as, as he probably would have liked to have been. And then Gundogan just slips that ball in, and Holland he didn't even need like all that space that he had for the second goal. His burst of pace just to get to that ball first before Ariola and win the penalty was it's it's the it's the factor that City have first been missing. Was no, I think it was Ariola. Ariola had come in by then. He was the one who made the mistake. 
Fabianski got oh, injured okay. and Ariola came in. Um, that that's just like the the this is the little something extra that City have been missing in breaking down those low block teams. And frankly, West Ham are one of the best, highest level low block teams in the league. It, it's when they're they're fully on it, defending well. They're very hard to break down, especially at the London Stadium. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be seeing plenty more of that from uh, Erling Holland. Let's move on to your boys, Javier. Arsenal started off the Premier League season on Friday night with a 2-0 win at Crystal Palace. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli got the opener 20 minutes in, and Marque, he scored an own goal in the 85th minute to uh, wrap up the points for Arsenal. How ecstatic were you with this performance? Was it just like not being disappointed? Is that what you were excited about? No, yeah, that, I mean, because there was, there was a good 30, 40 minutes there where Crystal Palace were, you know, penned back in that first half and it looked really good. But then, you know, just those last few minutes of that first half and then for the first 20 minutes or so of the second half till we made some changes, Palace had possession, you know, got a couple of decent chances, you know, as they went in on goal. Should have scored. Had, really should have scored. Zaha had, yeah, really should have scored. Zaha had a, a, a couple of, you know, one v ones that Saliba stopped, and then Oz, and Edward had a header, uh, you know, at the back post that he just completely whiffed and and put it put it wide. So there was a few chances that Palace had, um, and sorry, he put it right at Ramsdale. But you know, getting a clean sheet is 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 awesome to start away from home at a place where we've had historically a lot of trouble. You know, we've lost a lot of, I think, one out of, we've won once out of the last eight times at Selhurst Park that we've played there. So Oof. it's been a long time since we, uh, you know, got gotten a good result, clean sheet there. Not not really nervy, even though they had a lot of possession. Eze was, Eze's a brilliant player. He's so good on the ball. He's, he's so smooth and silky, and he's really hard to take the ball off of. I think we're going to see him a lot this season, and he's going to possibly break into the England team before the World Cup. I mean, if he stays fit, that kid is very, very, very good. I don't know about that. There's so many, so much competition for places in in his position in particular. Yeah, I'm saying maybe. I'm just saying maybe, but I mean, he's that good. Like he's, he reminds me of Aaron Ramsey in in a lot of ways. Um, he's just he, you know, young Aaron Ramsey when 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 he was coming up, like his energy, his being able to burst into the box, the opportunities that this guy's going to get, he's going to score goals, you know, and he's got someone like Zaha and, and, and that, you know, Czech Decore, that guy, that midfielder that Vieira got, he was, he was great too. You know, granted, you know, Thomas Partey and, and Granit Xhaka and Martin Odegaard were, were good in midfield, but they weren't amazing. I don't, yeah, you know, I don't a lot think of so. Them, they they made Xhaka, decent mistakes. Xhaka and Partey struggled. Odegaard looked they fine. Did. That, that forward four, looked as electric as it has all yeah uh, the 4-4 with Zinchenko Saliba and Ben White Gabriel was shaky at times as well um, but I would say Ben White going up against Zaha the whole time at right back just kind of had him in his pocket the whole time you know between him and Saliba they just they just completely shut him down so you Ben think? White made yeah I would wholeheartedly disagree on just Ben White like Ben White is lucky that Saliba was behind him, mopping up for everything. And maybe that that is part of defending. You're trying to force the attacker into making a decision. Right, I was saying he always made him made him go in a way that yeah, exactly. Someone else behind you can mop up. So yeah, okay, I'll, I'll concede that. But 
it it seemed like a and maybe this is more so because like Zaha, Zaha so had good. no chances. There was no penalties. Sure. There was no like. But you know, he never might, really might got I in. Just say like, maybe it's me just thinking how good Saliba was, which you know, by the way, you uh, very astutely predicted, and looks to be very true. I think it's just me thinking like, oh, Ben White's position in this team is now under threat. You know, uh, once Tomiyasu comes back and can slot in at right back, it would not be surprised if Ben White is, you know, sort of in the Rob Holding role where he comes in and he's like a good option if Saliba or Gabriel pick up an injury. I mean, he can even play in midfield. I I would prefer him playing in midfield over Granit Xhaka, you know. What about uh, what about like Zinchenko in midfield once Tierney's back? Because I feel like that would I be. I mean, better. that's the thing. It's like I mean, it's a great problem to have, right? Yeah. We now have pretty much four good left and right backs. You know, Zinchenko, Tierney, Ben White, and Tomiyasu, and at the very least, know, they're solid backs. defensively. Like yeah, Ben White and, does I mean, not having Rob Holding once. as your third center back who can come on if we need is not it's not terrible. So the fact that if Saliba or Gabriel, obviously Saliba is a player that we're hoping stays fit all season, but you know if one of them goes down for a game or two, holding or white slotting in there isn't going to be the end of the world, you know. Yeah. So it's great to have this defensive depth. It's really in midfield where we're going to struggle if we don't, uh, you know, pick up Tielmans before the end of the window. Right. And I think if we get someone like Yuri Tielmans in, it's going to it's going to really shore up our, our place for a top four finish, and we're. We're getting a lot of links to, to right wingers right now. It looks like we're in for for Yeri P- Yeri Pino, Yeri- yeah, Yeremy Pino, yeah, from uh, Villarreal. Who's, you know, the last couple of years he he was playing in Europa League when he was seventeen. Last year he was in the Champions League. He, you know, he looked like Villarreal's best player at eighteen. He's only nineteen years old now, and yeah, exciting if we can get him. Add depth. Add, uh, you know pressure on on Saka and Martinelli and Smith Rowe to, to to play their best it's just it's all good good news for Arsenal if we can get that type of depth and kind of crazy amount of money that we'd be spending if we uh if we end up buying Tielmans and Pino as well we'll definitely end up having spent you know 200 million plus yeah we'll see how that uh that shakes out I'm sure there'll be plenty of developments in the next few weeks uh just want to hit on Palace really oh, quickly yeah, yeah. Well, and I was going to say one more thing. Uh, Jesus was was awesome. Like you said, the front four. I mean, Martinelli, Saka, he was Jesus, good. Odegaard. I, I think he faded. Yeah, they, I think he faded a bit after he that. He faded a that little first, bit. Absolutely. Like, Twenty thirty minutes where Arsenal were. But it, you know, when Enketia came top. on, he was great. Enketia was was really good when he came on, and I I I like the way that he looks. He's. I know that you you just think that it's just like you know me being uh, trying to back up. You know him getting that contract, but he's so much better than he was a couple of years ago. Like he's just he's grown I mean, so much, you, you and it impresses that. me all the time. He's what like twenty two, twenty three. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's starting to hit his prime. Yeah, he's twenty two now, so he's starting to hit his his prime. He's the you know under twenty one all time leading goal scorer for England. You know he was part of that team that won the the World Cup with England. I mean he's 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 a good player. He just. You know, he, he needs the backing of the club and it seems to be uh, to work shaking off on. I'm, I'm really not that scared if Jesus goes down and, and then Ketsi has to take over for a few games. So, well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yes, yeah, we will. I, I think we you will. should be. But uh, yeah, just quickly on Palace. Uh, I'm not trying to undermine the Arsenal performance at all. The same thing happened when Chelsea played Palace in the opening game of last season. But 
uh, Palace just look like a team that weren't ready for the season. And there's there's a couple of those, my my own team included. But uh, their squad, their squad was, was split so into two teams, two squads for preseason. They had one squad that went to Australia and Southeast Asia to play preseason friendlies and another squad that stayed in the UK and played friendlies in the UK. And then they only just came back as a like a full squad together for the past week before this uh, this season. They were missing Mikhail Olise. All, all I'm trying to say is, again, not undermining Arsenal's performance, just saying there's there's a lot of improvement to be seen for Palace. I, I, and and even, even then, they still had moments in this game where they still looked very good. So uh, not, not too much to be concerned about for Palace. It's an understandable opening loss. No, I think they're still going to have a great season. Like I said, I mean, I was... They had more possession than than us. They uh, they ended up with fifty six percent possession, fifty six point three, and Arsenal with forty three point seven. You know they had the ball. We let them have the ball, obviously, after we went up two 0 and just kind of defended. But it was it was great to see how well Arsenal could defend. But the way that Palace were attacking, I mean, once they become more fluid of an attacking unit, they're gonna, they're going to be scary. Especially Joaquim Anderson's uh, thirty forty R balls. He was spraying out to Schlupp, Zaha, Eze, and Ayu. It was it's it's scary the the speed that they have and uh, the 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 accuracy of passing of uh, Joaquim Anderson. Marque he kind of had a, a bad game. Yeah, you that know, was that, that wasn't goal, his that wasn't his best. That game. That wasn't his best game, but he'll have better games. Yeah. Moving on, I, I, I will, we will get to the Tottenham performance in a second because uh, I want to mention this uh, this Tottenham Chelsea uh, derby coming up next weekend. Uh, but you know what, another. Uh, upset this weekend that I think we should definitely mention is uh, Bournemouth starting off their campaign with a 2-0 win at home against Aston Villa uh, during that 10 a.m. time slot on Saturday. It wasn't on TV, so you know maybe some people kind of went over their heads. But yeah, I were, watched highlights of this one. But they, they were obviously they they were absolutely show up. like trampolined by the that Jefferson Lerma uh, goal two minutes in off the set piece. Um, yeah, just took their their Premier League season by, uh, yeah, like kicking the balls there, right? So just not horrible way to start for Villa, and then they they kind of couldn't drag themselves back after that. Bournemouth could have had a couple of more, and and just really was a not a good, you know, you, you hit the reset button if you're Villa, don't don't get scared, Villa fans. It's just I, I think they should be slightly you know, scared because they really should be handling a team like Bournemouth, and I think they kind of disrespected them they didn't and for Bournemouth this is huge yeah. starting off your first game with a win for points on the board already right and you we, know, some teams it takes them five six seven eight games promoted teams the, the worst team people everyone's predicting 20th to get their first win so huge start for them and like we mentioned in our previews the the schedule is so difficult for Bournemouth that it was absolutely imperative that they get a win in this uh, first that game Kiefer Moore guy who scored in the second half in the 80th minute he's going to be a problem in the Premier League yeah six, I know he's, six, he's played five. a little bit before but this is his second time coming up with, you know, he only played a little bit in that the tail end of that right. Bournemouth season. And, and I think he like came in in January and then played a little bit. But, right. Uh, it, you know, this he this is going to be his second time up. He's now been in the Bournemouth team for a while and they're going to use him to, to his full extent. And he's going to be a scary player in the Premier League. Yeah. And U.S. fans will uh, see him start up front for for Wales, likely in the in the World Cup uh, this November. So uh, get used to him. I just want to mention about Bournemouth that, you know, we, we kind of said during our previews that they, under Eddie Howe, they were a more aesthetically pleasing side. They played more like attacking, uh, like possession-based football. But Scott Parker in, you know, at least the last year has turned them into 
frankly, a, a bunch of brawlers. And Kiefer Moore, like, you know, he encompasses that attitude more than, frankly, any other player other than, you know, the other goal scorer, Jefferson Lerma. They're, they're much more of a knockdown, drag out, back alley brawl kind of team. They're the now. new Burnley. Maybe. Yeah. That, that's, I don't think that's far off. I, I think they've got like a bit more quality and they still have some of those, you know, uh, possession aspects to their game. Cause like, like you said, they, they still have plenty of players like Billing and uh, Lerma and Lewis Cook from the last time they were in the Premier League. Players that are capable of that, but uh, it's going to be a street fight every time you you go down to uh, down to the South Coast to play them. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a interesting surprise, and we'll see how Villa bounce back from that one. Uh, but yeah, moving on to Tottenham, they won four one against Southampton. Also during that ten a.m. time slot, they went behind in the twelfth minute and then came storming back with. Uh, Two goals uh, in the next uh, 20 minutes after they conceded. One from uh, Ryan Sessegnon, uh, their young left wing back who got his first goal for Tottenham. And then another one for uh, Eric Dyer, who uh, scored for the first time in three years. And then there were two goals in the second half. Uh, Salasu own goal for Southampton and then a Kulusevsky goal two minutes later to basically wrap things up. Beautiful Kulusevsky goal, by the way. Yeah, not not as beautiful as the ball he played to Sessegnon at the back post for the equalizer. That was I, I, I was saying on I was tweeting like that was some KDB shit right there, like the, the the kind of accuracy and timing of that ball. He was given a lot of space to play it, but that's Kulusevsky has been uh, I think number three since he came into the league, number three or four since he came into the league in goals and assists since he came in, you know, he's been, wow. he's been pretty incredible. So yeah, he's, uh, he's keeping up the output, you know, goal and assists in this game and, uh, look dangerous the whole time. He looks nailed on to, to stay on even with Richarlison, you know, I don't know where Richarlison gets into this team, but he does a good problem for Tottenham to have. Yeah. He I doesn't, mean, this, this was a very, injury. this is an Antonio Conte, uh, you know, it, it looked like an Antonio Conte side. They just looked completely above t- Southampton. And Southampton looked like they were just carrying on from the end of last season where they lost five or six straight games, t- you know, to, to end the season. After they had been safe, they just did nothing. So th- they got to get their shit sorted because, you know, Ward-Prowse looked good, but that Salisu own goal just kind of killed it. You know, they, yeah, they, had, a, they had a little bit of a rally in the second half, but... Uh, that you know that they, he had to clear that off the line. That was kind of bizarre, and uh, you know then Kulishevsky just buried them. Yeah, it's less so this game that I actually want to talk about, and more so the you know whatever preview we can do for next Sunday's uh, Chelsea Tottenham game, because I mean Southampton they looked pretty much the same as they have the last couple of seasons. When they concede, they concede in bunches, and their their confidence drops off of a cliff. Uh, we saw that in the six nil, the, the six that Chelsea put past them last season, near the end of the season. For Tottenham, it's 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 a good sign, obviously, for them that they scored four goals and none of them were from Son or Kane. That's the, I'm sure Spurs fans will be very excited with that, and they'll be very optimistic, or as optimistic as they can be, going into a fixture that they've traditionally struggled with. I frankly would not be surprised if Tottenham went to Stamford Bridge and won next weekend. I, I don't think that's out of the question, even though it's only happened once in the last like 30 plus years. I was about to say, you guys have always had their number though, and I can yeah. trust Chelsea to put Tottenham down. Yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to, I'm trying to reconcile the two Chelsea things though. For. I'm trying to reconcile like 
you know, Antonio Conte. You guys influence. didn't have a great performance against uh, Everton. No, the, but I mean, the exact opposite. It wasn't Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz had a you know really bad day in the park. Mason Mount didn't play well. Your wing backs were all right, but you know I think you need to maybe play Kukurea. Chilwell wasn't. Yeah, no, Chilwell will not be starting next week. He very clearly looks like a player that is still coming back from an, a, from an ACL yeah, injury. So. A lot of these players just didn't look as fit as they should. You know, I thought Ingolo Tante looked decent. It was the new signing. looked pretty good. It was, it was Koulibaly, Sterling, Kukurea when he came on. All those new Sterling signings. was your best player. Yeah. And, uh, and Koulibaly. Koulibaly was the one who threaded that ball through to Chilwell that when he won the penalty. Threaded it through uh, two defenders to, to lead to that. Uh, yeah, so I was pleased with them. Uh, we got like debuts for Conor Gallagher and uh, Armando Broya came on. Um, so, yeah, so like I said, I'm trying to reconcile, you know, the Antonio Conte factor positively in, in Spurs' favor with, you know, history and tradition at Chelsea of, you know, us usually being able to handle them at home. And like as a result, I'm just kind of coming to the conclusion that it's going to be 1-1 but it's going to be like a 1-1 that Chelsea fans are not pleased with because you can never be pleased with not beating Spurs at home. But they'll probably create enough chances and threaten us enough that we'll feel like, phew, thank God we got out of there without losing. Because the last thing you want to do this early in the season is is lose. Like You don't want to lose to Spurs at home in the second game of the season. That would just be such like a knock to the confidence and it would give them such... It would propel them so much and give them the confidence they'd need to go on and do what a lot of people are, are picking them to do this season and that's you know be that third place team and maybe even push City and Liverpool for the title so this is a, a chance for Chelsea to lay down and like an early marker as you know we're still the third best team and I think we can do that but I think you know maybe you know living to fight another day with a draw may not be the worst result for Chelsea and that, as much as it pains me to say that that's how much I respect Antonio Conte so uh, it, yeah, I mean, the way that the Tottenham ended the season, getting top four, they got a bunch of signings, they got an emphatic first win. You know, you got to think that Antonio's thinking, oh, we can start off the win with the season with five. Because outside of Chelsea, they don't really have, they have some a good run of fixtures. So after Chelsea away, they have Wolves at home. Wolves didn't look great in that uh, 2-1 loss to Leeds. Then they have Nottingham Forest away. Also, didn't look great in their uh, in their two nil loss to Newcastle, and all right. Then they have West Ham away, a team they usually handle well. Fulham at home, and then finally Manchester City. But they could they could rack up five, four or five wins in these next you know few games if they beat Chelsea. They, you know they could go into that Manchester City game toe to toe with City and Liverpool at that point. So interesting. You know if they if you guys can get a win, stop their momentum. You know, we'll see how they do in these this next run of games. But if they just go on and, and beat you guys at Stamford Bridge, you, you know, it's going to be scary for everybody. So I, I hope that Chelsea win. I kind of think a draw might happen too, like a 2-2 draw. I think it, it, there'll be more goals than 1-1. Yeah, it's the perfect time for Raheem Sterling to get his, his first goal, I think. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, as much as it sounds like I'm dreading that one, I am actually looking forward to it, especially, you know, Having you know, just being back at Stamford Bridge again, it's been two months. I'm excited to uh, have a home game again, and there's not many of them to start the season for uh, for Chelsea. So, uh, yeah, let's let's wrap things up there. There were plenty of other games, but uh, 
you know, not enough room for it this week. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll get around to some of these other teams like Nottingham Forest and Leicester and Everton and Leeds uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to try and jump on to Instagram Live next Sunday right after the final whistle of that Chelsea-Tottenham game. Uh, hopefully, uh, it's not concrete yet, but hopefully uh, our boy Mark uh, from uh, the the last time there was a North London Derby that we did the uh, Instagram Live, the three of us reacting to that. He's, he's a Spurs fan. He's hope, hoping to get him to jump onto that. Uh, but we'll, I'll jump on regardless and and uh, react to that one, and then we'll obviously be back either next Sunday or next Monday to uh, recap all the games next weekend. Javier, thanks for jumping on this one uh, with me. I kind of like the recap format. You know, it's I prefer it to previews. I'll just say it. I feel I feel like I'm I'm. It's a lose lose situation every time we preview anything. Well, we have we 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 can we can actually talk about the content more than just kind of trying to predict what's going to happen. Right. And sometimes looking like geniuses, and, then, and sometimes and then like someone idiots. picks up an injury in training the day after we record, and we look like assholes. So, yeah, I'm I'm I much prefer this as well. If you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you can follow Javier on Twitter at JavierRev9. You can follow me on both at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials on both at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or uh, maybe even Anchor, uh, go ahead and drop a rating and a review. Those new ratings and reviews help new listeners to find the pod. And we'd really appreciate it if you guys could help us uh, grow this thing a little bit. Keep an eye out for that Instagram Live next Sunday uh, by following the Instagram account. And until next time, see you.